This week, I was reminded of a song by Kenny Rogers. All right, now you guys all have songs going through your head. I figure out which one it is. Um, in his song, The Greatest, he tells a story about a boy, a baseball, and a bat. Um, and I can relate to that song because I can remember being that boy going outside with the baseball and the bat. But in the song it goes, he goes outside, and the boy talks about how he's the greatest there's ever been. And he takes the baseball, throws it up, swings the bat, and like the Detroit Tigers, he missed. <laughs> so then again, he picks it up, talks about how he's the greatest, throws it up, and misses. So that's two strikes. Um, so the third time, he grabs a baseball, throws it up, swings, and misses. Then it's time to go home, and as he's walking home, he says, I'm the greatest, that is understood, but even I didn't know I could pitch that good. <laughs> you know, this morning we're going to get back into the book of Matthew, and in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to bite off a big portion of scripture. Um, Nate offered to get me a second water in case I need one, because we're going verses 27 through 48. As we walk through that, we're going to see that our view, our vision plays a critical role in the life that we live. This boy, his vision was that he was the greatest. If he would have hit a home run, he would have been the greatest. But since he didn't hit a home run, he was the greatest pitcher. You know, his view played that role. So today we're going to see who we are looking for. We're going to do it with these three points. We're going to see it with looking back. We're going to see it with looking deeper, and we're going to see it with looking up. But before we dive into those 22 verses, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are and all that we have because of who you are. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word together. Lord, we thank you that we're able to gather here today and just worship you. Lord, we do thank you for the copy of your word that we have with us and that we can see what your word says. So I just pray today that as we go through these verses, Lord, that you would guide and direct, Lord, just help me to share only what you have me to share, Lord. Just help me not to share anything of my own, but only what you have for us today, Lord. So in your son's name I pray. Amen. So the first thing we need to do is we need to look back. And we're going to see where we have been. Um, this morning, I'm, I got up, and I checked my memories on Facebook. We had a memory of Mia dancing with a breadstick at Fazoli's. So you know, we have been to Fazoli's. I was able to look back and see that. She was about, I don't know, she's six now, seven now. She was about two or three. Just heard some music at Fazoli's and danced with her breadstick. Who doesn't do that, right? You know, I think it's important to look back sometimes to remember where we've been and what we've been looking at. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Started this. 2019, so three years and one week ago, I started walking through the Sermon on the Mount with you guys, and I told them in Sunday school, if it wasn't for trying to walk through the Sermon on the Mount with you verse by verse, we would be preaching on something different this morning. But since we're doing that, we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen the Beatitudes, a different view on life. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. That's not how society looks at things today. But we see God's view on this. 
We saw salt and light as we walked through the Sermon on the Mount so far. We saw that we're supposed to be living in a different way. That we should not look like the rest of the world. We've seen that God's ways are not our ways. You know, as he walked through his kingdom, we see that it's set up differently. And here's what happens a lot. We try to have dual citizenship. You know, I could be a resident of Canada and the United States if I have dual citizenship. But too often we try to do that with this earthly kingdom and with the heavenly kingdom. We want what the earthly kingdom has to offer, but we want heaven in the end. Well, he didn't set it up like that. He's shown us that, that his kingdom is completely different. We also have where we left off. Last time we were together, we started looking at the law. A lot of people say that Jesus came to do away with the law. But that's not what he told us. He told us that he came to fulfill the law. You know, we've seen the law. We walked through different studies here at church. We've seen the law. Um, you've seen it real recently and upon further review on Wednesday nights. We see that the law cannot save you. It can show you where you sin. It can show you where you go wrong. But it cannot save you. And Jesus shows us that even the law doesn't get it right. He shows that there's a heart behind the law. We read that about you have heard, and that talk about from those of old. Some of it was based off of God's law. Some of it was based off of the Ten Commandments, other laws that he gave Moses up on the mountain. But it was added to by man. Um, here's the thing, when man starts adding to the law, they make it so that it fits their standard and what they want. Um, so as they add it, what happened is the scribes and the Pharisees, they kept it really well. In fact, I read this week that they had 84 ways that you can break the Sabbath that they had added to what Jesus had put. Um, if you drug your kitchen, kitchen chair and dug a hole, you broke the Sabbath. Um, they just added to it, but they kept it, and they made it look good. But what they really had done is they had watered it down to things they could actually keep so that they looked holy. So as they got there, they get as close to the line as they can with the kind of line enough what God said, but they made it so that they could keep it. And we see that the law was not meant to be kept. It was meant to show us where we were. So that's what they had done. But Jesus tells them, you know what? That's not how it's supposed to be. In fact, he says, I'm going to give you the standard. And we saw that last time when we were together. We saw that with murder. He says, you've heard thou shalt not murder. But anybody who has hate for his brother is guilty of murder. You know, he shows that it's the heart that matters. And that's what we've seen. And as we go through that, he talks about just the thought of sin as well. <laughs> don't get me wrong, committing the act of murder is worse than thinking about it. So don't think you can go do it just because you thought about it. But he's showing you your heart matters. And today, we are going to look deeper. In this next section, like I said, we're going to cover five things. And we're going to see what he says about these next things. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look deeper on the thought of lust. Verse 27 says this, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. So as I said before, 
If it wasn't for going verse by verse, we would be in Matthew 6 today. But we're not. You know, this deeper view on lust, we start out with Jesus saying that again. You have heard. You've heard what's been passed down as the law. And as you remember, we can go back to the Ten Commandments and Jesus says, or God says, do not commit adultery. And that was one of the Ten Commandments. But as they passed it down from generation to generation, they added to it and they made it just to be a concern with the physical act. Don't physically commit adultery. You know, and the Pharisees, <laughs> we got this. <laughs> Never done that. I'm good. You know, as you think about that, that's kind of what is expected by the world today. You know, they say, well, as long as you don't do the physical act, you are okay. They will say things like, boys will be boys. They're going to look. Um, it's amazing. They can censure so much stuff on the internet, but they can't get rid of pornography. Why is that? Because it sells and they see nothing wrong with it. They make money off of it. Boys are just going to be boys. Um, or girls are just going to be girls, however you want to put it. It's just entertainment. Well, yeah, that movie had stuff we shouldn't have been watching, but it's just entertainment. Well, that song said that, but it's just entertainment. Or everyone's wearing it. What's wrong with that? Um, Monday, yeah, Monday. The girls started school last Monday. By the time Amy got home from dropping them off, I told her I had found 15 dress code violations just looking at first day of picture schools or first day of school pictures. Um, but everybody's wearing it. Um, they went school clothes shopping. <laughs> Most of the clothes you buy are crop tops. I don't look good in a crop top, so I can't go to school. That's why Brent doesn't go to school anymore either. <laughs> but everybody's wearing it, so let's make it okay. And that's what they had adopted. But you know, Jesus says, but I say to you, but I say to you, it's more than meets the eye. It's more than what they have made it out to be. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anyone who looks. Um, that sounds like a problem, doesn't it? Because um, you can be on your phone and something can just pop up. You can be walking through the mall and people are dressed in ways they shouldn't be. So people will take that and say, well, you have to walk around with your eyes closed. You know, his word there for anyone who looks means more than just a passing glance. It's that you're looking at it with intent. You're looking at it with desire. Let's think about David and Bathsheba for a second. We've heard the story of David and Bathsheba. She was out taking a bath on her rooftop, and David went out on his balcony, and he saw her. Was it his fault that he saw her bathing? Happened. She happened to be bathing, he happened to go outside. You know, it was his fault that he stayed and he looked. And he stayed and he watched, excuse me, he stayed and he watched and he let the temptation creep in. And then he acted on that temptation. Had Bathsheba brought to him. Then he kills her husband. You know what? That was more than just a glance. He looked with desire. Um, and this is seen as serious by God. Sometimes we think, well, like I said, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. It's just looks. It doesn't matter. Um, I read a book by a woman named Mo Isom. She talks in her book, the um, name of it is 
sex, God, and the conversations the church didn't have for the church for God. She talked about as a young girl, she got addicted to pornography because she saw it from her dad. How it affected her life growing up, what she was looking for in a husband, what she was looking for in a boyfriend. So it has an effect on her life, but God knows how serious that effect is going to be. And he says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Um, that is not why we have pirates. Some of you got it. That's not why we have pirates. He's saying, if whatever causes you to sin, get rid of it. It can't be there. You're better off not to have it. If it's your right arm, if it causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to lose an eye, to lose an arm, than to lose the whole body to hell. You know, we can't continuously be in sin and say we're a believer. That's not how it works. Although not literal instructions, a great reminder of the seriousness. You know, we are called to honor God with our lives. Um, everything we do, we're called to bring honor and glory to God. So, if we're called to do that with everything we do, that includes our bodies. So it's not possible for us to honor him if we are stuck in sexual sin. We must flee from it. I know the story of a guy who was addicted to pornography. And he was a single guy, and he worked traveling around the country. So no accountability. Every hotel, it was available. He quit his job. Found a new job, a job that paid less. But you know what? He knew he was never going to be able to fight that, living that same thing. We need to make sure we're willing to do that. That was him cutting, taking out his eye, cutting off his arm. He knew he had to get away from it. And that's what Jesus is telling us. If it's in our heart, whether we're acting on it or not, there's going to be issues. So that's the first thing we see. Second thing we see is the deeper view on divorce. Verse 31 reads this way. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we see this deeper view on divorce. He goes this time and says, it was said. You notice it's not you have heard. You have heard it said. He says, it was said. He takes this from Deuteronomy chapter 24. What's taking place in Deuteronomy 24 is the people have come to Moses. And they have asked, well, what do we do about divorce? What if we don't want to be married anymore? So God tells them this in Deuteronomy, tells Moses to tell them this in Deuteronomy 24, 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house. So he gave them a way out. He told them, you know what? Yes, we can do a certificate of divorce. But here's what happened with this certificate of divorce. They said it was God's command. They kind of made it like, you find any indecency in her, just give her the certificate of divorce. You know, God knew this was coming. He knew there was going to be problems. He knows that we are sinful people, that we need grace. So he gives them a way out. Not a command, but a way out if necessary. But there's a problem. They looked for ways out. Um, if anything was offensive, if the wife forgot to say good morning to the husband, they could say that was offensive. And 
file for the certificate. Anything they could find, they would do. They trended away from the biblical reason for divorce and started making it anything that made their life inconvenient. It was okay as long as they had a certificate. That was their view on it. How much does that sound like today? Um, well, you're not happy? Get a certificate. You know what? Just do it. Everybody's doing it. In fact, statistics show, well, this is actually kind of scary. I listened to or read a sermon from 1979. The statistics were already at 48% of the country. Today, it's 50%. Scary. We're like, well, that's the country. What about the church? 42% of the church in 1978. 48% of the church now. Scary things. But we made it convenient. We made it normal. Um, we were in Orlando in 2021. And driving from Orlando to Tampa Bay, every 10 miles there was a sign for a divorce, law divorce lawyer. Call us today. Get out of the marriage every 10 miles ads all over the tv things we wouldn't have seen years ago but we have made it easy just like they made it easy so jesus says to them but i say to you but i say to you unless it is for a biblical reason he says unless there is sexual immorality you will make her an adulterer you will be an adulterer and the guy will be an adulterer you know we just saw how serious sexual sin is <coughs> We saw that God says it's better to cut off your arm, it's better to take off your eye, to break away from it, than to be in sexual sin. So he gives us a biblical reason for divorce. But an important reminder here, still not a command. He doesn't say divorce them because of sexual sin. God desires to see reconciliation. He says in his word, let no man separate what God has joined, right? He doesn't desire that. But you know what? It's going to happen. He knows that. So he gave the biblical reasons for divorce. You see more about that in Matthew 19. Because reconciliation is not always possible. But God's desire is for our heart to be in the right place and not just to jump there because she said we didn't have a good hair day. And that's what they had turned it into. That's what we've turned it into in this country. Um, every, I think I read 16 divorces every second. There will be 486 divorces in the time that it takes for one wedding ceremony. And that's where we're at. Not out of God's desire, but where we are at as a country. So we need to make sure we're following what God says about that. Then we take a deeper view at an oath. Verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, you cannot make one hair white or black. Let then what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. So this deeper view on oaths, the first thing we see again is, you have heard. I will tell you, this is the easiest PowerPoint I've ever made, because it's you have heard, and you but I say, but you have heard, do not make false vows. Don't swear by this or that. How many of you guys have ever done that? Well, I swear on this, that I'm going to do that. 
I swear on this, this is true. He says, don't do it. Um, he says, just do what you say. There should be no reason for you have to have to say, well, I swear on the Bible. I swear on this turkey sandwich I'm about to eat. You should be able to just say we're going to do it and make it that. And Jesus says, but I say to you, let your yes be yes and your no will be no. Make it simple. Keep it simple. Yes or no. Only swear by what you can control. You ever have somebody swear I'm going to do this? And they have no control on whether they can do it or not. You almost know they're not going to do it. He says, just tell the truth. If you can do it, do it. If you can't, tell them you can't. Um, face that with kids sometimes. You know, they want to grow up quicker than they should. Or are you sure you're old enough to do that? Or you're big enough to do that? And of course they say, yes. And then they can't do it. And it's a big deal because you have to go help them. But we do that as adults too. We get in over our heads, swear we can do it. We don't do that. You know, as believers, we should be so trustworthy that oaths aren't necessary. And when we say we're doing something or we did something, people just believe it because we're that trustworthy. And that's what he's pointing out here. If you are trustworthy, if you have a heart that is trustworthy, then they're just going to believe you for your word. They're going to believe you because they've seen it in your life. So we need to make sure we do that. And the next thing we see is the deeper view on retaliation. Um, verse 38 reads this way. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let, it, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said once again, looking back to teaching of the old times. But here's the thing, this teaching of the old time was not the Ten Commandments. It was part of the corporal punishment. It was part of the law when you take them into the court system and they would be punished for it. But this is another law that they had taken to the extremes and put it in places where it didn't belong. They took this and they made it part of their everyday life. If somebody takes my bike, I take their bike. If they slap me, I slap them. No, this wasn't the original reason for the law. The original reason for the law was if somebody committed murder, if they committed a heinous crime, and they were punished by the system in place, and it gives for capital punishment there. But the people took it and said, you know what, Jason took my chainsaw, I'm taking his. And people were okay with that. They made it a way of life. But God says, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. <laughs> If they slap your right cheek, give them the other one to slap. Don't retaliate. Don't run away. Stay there. And as you stay there, help the person who's causing you pain. Is that what's natural for us, to help the person who's causing us pain? Somebody argues with us. They say something bad to us. Our first thing we want to do is go right back at them. But he says, stay there. Turn the other cheek. You know what? If they need help, Help them. Don't refuse them just because you suffered. Help them because they are going to need help. Once again, it comes back to our heart. Our vision that we're looking at this world with. Are we looking at it through God's eyes or through our own eyes? That's what he's pointing out here. Do not refuse to help because you suffered, but give them what they need. In fact, give them more than they need. 
Show them the love of God. Man, have you guys ever heard of killing them with kindness? We can only be so kind on our own. Can you imagine giving the love of God to them, what that's going to do to them? I mean, we get a little bit of a reward from that, I think, because we get to see them, what is wrong with this guy? I just smacked him. Why does he give me his coat? But you know what? You're going to see God's love through that, and that's what we are ultimately supposed to do. And the last thing we see here is looking deeper. We see looking deeper on enemies. It says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So you have heard it said. An amazing thing here, though, is that you have heard it said. Nowhere in Old Testament law, nowhere in the Old Testament, does God give us commands to hate our enemies. In fact, he gives the opposite commands. He tells us to love our enemies even then. But this was a law or a saying born out of tradition. Somebody along the way said, love your enemies. I mean, somebody along the way said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. And everybody just bought into that. And that's what happened. But of course, like we said, the kingdom of God is completely different. So Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Care for them. Give them what they need. Love them like God does. He takes care of them too. Our enemies, they get to see the sunshine just like we do. They get rain just like we do. They get the common grace from God just like we do. So who are we to judge them? We have no right. They are God's creation as well. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray that they would seek God. Pray that their eyes would be opened. Isn't that hard to do? Pray for those who are wishing harm upon us. But you know what? God's creation. God loves them. We should pray that they would desire to be part of God's family. That they would see why we are sold out for God. You know, he tells us our conduct must be different. We should look different from the tax collectors. Tax collectors hated even more then than they are now. They were the low of the low. They were ripping the people off. They were abusing the women and the children. They were nobodies. He says, even the tax collectors love those who love them. We should be different. We should look different than the Gentiles of the day. The Gentiles were the non-believers of the day, those who they thought had nothing to do with God. We should look different. No, we should look different from the world. We should be showing the love of God everywhere we go, whether we're being persecuted, whether they've slapped us, no matter what's going on, we should be showing the love of God. And in verse 48, we need to look up. Verse 48 says this, You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Looking up, we must look up to our standard. And we must look to the standard that God has set. Not the one that man has set. We have to stop settling for that and go to God's standard. You know, God's standard was and is be perfect. This is the ultimate standard. It has been set. And the ultimate standard is what is required. Um, we were driving home from Lake Michigan on Friday and Mia and Kenzie were giving us a concert 
and they were singing Holy, 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 the one we had from VBS, not the old hymn, but it's kind of the same. And that is a standard that has been set. Holy, Holy, Holy. No, God is holy. He is perfect. He cannot be a wrong sin. So that's the standard that is set. We want that relationship. We must be perfect. But that leads to a serious problem. We cannot reach that standard on our own. No matter how hard I try, I still sin. Um, just comes naturally to me. Comes naturally to you guys. The Bible tells us that it's our nature. We are born of Adam. We have that sin nature. We need help. But there's great news with this serious problem. God provided that help through Jesus Christ. He was a perfect sacrifice for us. And because of him, we are seen as righteous. Um, because of what he did on the cross, we are seen righteous. But only if we are of him. We have to come to that saving faith. We have to turn away from our sins and come to Jesus for that saving faith. We must realize that we need help. He is the only way. Acts 4.12 tells us there is salvation in no other name. That it's only through Jesus. We must realize he's the one that saves. And we must look to Jesus. So today, we've seen the looking back. We've looked deeper. We've looked up. So the question is, what do we take home from this today? How does this affect the rest of our week? You know, as I thought about it, I thought about the fact that our worldview is going to dictate our life. These people, they had a worldview of traditions that had been passed down. They viewed it through what had been passed down to them, and they ended up with a secular worldview. You know, the, if you Google worldview on the internet, on Google, on Yahoo, it's going to tell you there's about six different worldviews. But there's really only two, the secular worldview or the biblical worldview. And our worldview is going to determine the standard that we're living by, it's going to determine, and it's going to be determined by what we are trusting. Are we going to trust man's word or God's word? Secular worldview, all about man's word. Huh? Man says we can do this, so we do it. Man's view says it's okay for Landon to go to school in a crop top, so he goes to school in a crop top. At least I didn't call me to pray. So. But that's going to determine it. Here's what's going to happen. Man's worldview is going to let us down. Look at what man's worldview did to the law. They took it and made it what they wanted it to be. Look at what man's worldview has done, or man's word has done to this world. Declining more every day. You know, God's worldview is never going to let us down. It never has, and it never will. Think about this. We must seek a biblical worldview. Seeking a biblical worldview means this is what we stand on when we ask the questions of life. This is where we seek our answers from. We don't seek it from Oprah or Dr. Phil or whoever. We seek God's view on it. We don't seek it by what the government tells us. We seek God's word on it. Our worldview dictates how we're going to live. That boy in the song, his view was that he was the greatest. Whether he struck out or hit a home run, he was still going to be the greatest. You know, if we're going on man's worldview, that's where we end up at. We think we're something we're not. But if we're good with God's worldview, we know that we are sinners saved by grace. And only through him we come to the name. So I want to encourage you, seek God's worldview.
seek a biblical worldview, seek to see things as God sees them. We do that by being in His Word and seeking after Him. Let's pray.